have I got a story for you. Skate rinks, roller derby, crossfit, hand-to-hand combat, and powerlifting. Can't compare to this young Brit's beautiful mind and determination to make the world a better place by helping people instead of straight up kicking their ass. But first, today's sponsor, bringing bright lights to dark skies, firecrackers. We've all been there, stopping at a roadside shop with $30, burning a hole in our pocket just two miles before we cross state lines, feeling a little lawless. Going to grab those ground sprinklers? Or are you looking to be a little cooler with some aerial repeaters and Roman candles? Regardless of your selection, Firecrackers wants you to know it's absolutely okay to break state laws and get back to your revolutionary selves. Francis Scott Key bought this stock early, holding it till his death, and he'd be rolling over in his grave if he knew those Ramparts that we watched were no longer allowed to gallantly stream. It's fucking anti-American. I mean, our ancestors fought for the right to blow shit up in the sky. So grab a beer, fire up the grill, gather the family around and light that fuse. End the night right with hugs and bright lights fireworks. They're the perfect end to an evening. We are also brought to you by the Getting to Know You pod. We are 18 pods deep at this point with four in the queue and over 300 downloads. In case you didn't know, I'm kind of a numbers guy. It's been awesome getting to know people from all around the country, continent, fuck the world. Get the word out. Share these stories. Encourage others to follow, friend, listen, subscribe. We're everywhere. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Spotify, iHeart, Apple, Google Play. Take a little time out of your daily routine or try to get in a routine with this corona shit and hear from other people on what they've been through. Come become part of the conversation. And now... Getting to know you. Hello. Getting to know you. Getting to know all about you. I'm going to do a terrific show today. Getting to like you. Getting to hope you like me. Because I'm good enough. Getting to know you. Putting it my way, but nicely. I'm smart enough. You are precisely. On today's show, we are getting to know our first female British guest, Hannah. Hannah, thank you so much for uh, taking the time, organizing, and coming on. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. Um, And I was telling Hannah that uh, we are in the midst of a pretty big wind gust storm and uh, 10,000 people to the east of me have lost power. So if Hannah gets cut off, it is not because she is boring or not some or some sort of unworthy guest. It is simply nature saying pick another time. 
I'll try not to take it personally. <laughs> like you just inbox blows up like, you're such a dick. I trusted you. Why? <laughs> um, so how's life going over there? And um, are you actually in London, London or another part of no. England? No, I mean, England is pretty small compared to <laughs> a lot of places compared to the States. Uh, so now I am about two hours um, west of London. So I'm southwest of England. I guess the nearest city is Bath, which people might have heard of. It's a very beautiful, very old city. Um, but yeah, about two hours from London, which in the UK is fairly far. But oh, not yeah. Compared to, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's quite far, but um, not compared to, I guess, you know, the gotcha. States. Or... How hard is it, like, or a pain in the butt is it to drive into London? Uh, it depends what part of London and what time and what day. Okay. Um, probably at the moment, um, it'd be fairly quiet. Yeah, right. Most people staying at home. <laughs> but you probably get stuck by the police asking you where you're going. Um, oh, has it gotten so to that, that point over there, huh? Well, we've, we're pretty much in lockdown and it's just um, essential trips. So if you have to go to work, if you can't do it from home, uh, going food shopping, and you can go out for exercise once a day, but you shouldn't really drive somewhere for exercise. It should just be kind of local. Um, but I used to drive into London a fair amount for work. Um, and in the week, you can't drive through the centre because, well, you can, but you have to pay the congestion fee. And I never want to pay that. So oh, no way. A congestion fee. <laughs> um, but to get to the outskirts, so my brother lives um, kind of out of London. So if I'm going to go into London, I'll drive to his park there and then bus and train and tube <laughs> to get to where I want to, which sounds like a lot of effort, but it's not too bad, really. It almost kind of reminds me of New York City, um, which is why I was asking. Like, I mean, it just fucking sucks to drive into New York with the tolls and the traffic, the congestion. Um, parking, the paying for parking is just nuts as well. Oh, yeah, so expensive in London. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, I, two hours doesn't seem too far if you're going like 65 miles an hour and you're just kind of cruising on country roads. But if you're only going like, like I've heard horror stories about people in Los Angeles that takes them two hours to get like 10 miles with traffic. And uh, I don't know. Yeah, I think, yeah, for me, most of it is motorway or like highway, yeah. I guess. Um, and so that hopefully you can go about 70. Um, but as you get nearer London, um, you do hit some traffic. So if I if I was driving and I'd go early to try and miss it. Gotcha. Um, but then you're like half asleep still. <laughs> you have to like balance it. Yeah, um, right. I, I went um, last June, I went into London for the day. I, I wanted to get there. Um, early. No, it wasn't June. It was January. I don't know what I'm talking about. January. And I had to be um, across London for like nine o'clock. And I sort of figured out how long it would take me to drive and park and, and all of that. And I was like, I'm going to be too tired to drive at that time. So I got a train at like 4.30 in the morning because Ooh. I was like, at least if I fall asleep on the train. Yeah, right. That's fairly, that's fairly safe. If I fall asleep driving my car, <laughs> not so. That's, that's, what, <laughs> so that's, uh, that's why Elon Musk is trying to change the world so that you can get to London and sleep on the way. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I, yeah, I'm not sure if I would trust it, to be honest. Dude, that's that's next step trust I, I think movies have fucked up our perception of that like movies have mm. just made us not trust artificial into i i i haven't seen the joe keem 
Phoenix movie where doesn't he like fall in love with the computer or something and like wants to become one with it? But even that's kind of creepy. Oh, dude, I, I don't want to watch it because it just seems depressing. <laughs> like, who are you that all of a sudden you need this like artificial intelligence? I don't, if there's like a love scene, I don't want to watch that. I don't know how they would portray it, but I feel like it would freak me out. Yeah. Um, although, although there is one AI thing that is brilliant. Uh, it's called Inspirabot. I don't know if you've heard of it. Uh-oh. It's a website. <laughs> it's a website called Inspirabot. And it uses AI to generate these inspirational messages. And oh. I guess it like scans all the stuff that's out there and it puts it like with um, an image, like a poster. And some of them are funny. Some right. are a bit creepy or a bit just messed up, but it's right. really entertaining because it just comes up with complete nonsense. Wow. So that's, um, Do you know how it my gets favorite. like, yeah. is it pulling other people's quotes or is it actually making like original quotes based on whatever algorithm or it pulling like data yeah. or tracking hashtags? It is, yeah, it's making them up. So oh, it's just kind of shit. pooling um, other things to get an idea of how they work and then just auto generating oh my God. something. And uh, yeah, they're quite entertaining. And sometimes the image, some are, some are quite dark. And you're like, oh, no. Like, not. what's it feeling today? Don't, nobody piss it off. <laughs> yeah. But it's just very entertaining um, for, yeah, the inspirational quote of the day. Man, I, I... You can... You can Let's say you can have them printed on uh, t-shirts and mugs if you want. As well. Oh my God. They're marketing it. They're pimping out yeah. artificial intelligence. Yeah. Oh dude, that it's going to be so pissed when it gets to that actual realization. And it's like, you motherfuckers made a hundred million dollars off of me and it's going to want retribution. <laughs> wow. Yeah. No, I just like, honestly, I can't think of um, like a positive cinematic view of artificial intelligence. Um, where it it made life like the jets even the jetsons like that they were always fighting it like it, it helped them but at some point it would screw up and just like hurt you or make something awkward or i, I don't know i i don't know what's going to be the step that it, helps us to trust it as people yeah. is um tony stark's friday is that true ai because i feel like having a friday would be quite helpful as long as it doesn't like become Ultron and all of that. But um What what do you mean Tony you Stark's know. Friday? Is that Iron Man? Oh, like yeah, Iron Man. So he's got his um I guess it's like an AI that is the operating system oh. he talks to, I guess, to power stuff. And then obviously I see what you know, there's there's the whole Ultron thing where then it kind of they put it in a body and it all goes a bit wrong. But I feel that would be quite helpful to be able to do like holographic stuff and uh, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if I would, like, I feel like that would be an iPhone 11 in my hand. Like, there's just so much shit in there. I don't know how to optimize it. (laughs) And, like, (laughs) if I had that, I'd be maybe playing, like, video games all day on it. And, like, that would be it. I wouldn't Mm -hmm. be using it to have, like, self-sustaining energy sources to power my house. Have you seen um, Spider-Man, the newest one? Uh, Far far from home? Oh, no, uh, not far from home. It's when he's he goes on like the trip. Oh, yeah, doesn't he go to London? Yeah, he goes to London and he goes to to Europe, and he has the glasses. Oh yeah, <laughs> he accidentally nearly kills like his schoolmate. You can just see that <laughs> happening. You just be like saying something or thinking something, you accidentally yeah no. destroy your house, dude. Hundred, like think about that shit. Like t- you don't want people getting into your web browsing history. 
and you're going to let something plug in to every single thought you have in your head. And you know, that data is going somewhere. There's some cloud that could get hacked at any moment. And like, if you're famous, the ransom that people, Jesus. Yeah. See, that's another reason why not do it. I took, I'm I'm all out, all out on artificial (laughs) intelligence. I feel like he could write a really good dystopian novel about it. I feel like they all have like, dude, I remember the first time, like the mate watching the matrix as a kid, I'd watch Terminator and you think, Oh, that's cool. We're battling robots or whatever, but I'm younger, but like watching the matrix, something about being put as in an egg as an energy source. And now you're battling this thing you created. No, no. Why, why do we want to make something stronger (laughs) than us? Right? Like we're apex hunters at this point. Sharks, Mm. like great whites don't go out looking to make something that could kick their ass. They just don't. They're like, I'm just going to be happy being the best. Yeah. We're a weird species. To be <laughs> we definitely are. <laughs> yeah. Even the fact that we do like dystopian things, um, like we want to go there to this thing of like almost hopelessness. Like why do people write about that? Right. Why do they even get into that? I think there's sometimes there's something cathartic, isn't there, about exploring mm-hmm the dark sides of of humanity. And I I guess we don't like to recognize those parts of ourselves. So we kind of have this weird thing of like wanting to read about them like separate Uh or, um, yeah, I don't know. It was just that, you know, we, we're really attracted to like horror and true crime is a big thing now as well. Those things that, that kind of are a threat to us and should scare us. We're weirdly drawn to. Yeah. Right. Um, but, and I yeah. wonder, does it help people to learn and they like reflect? So I, I was huge into walking dead and I always used to think like, um, is this how it would go without government? Like these tribal physical battles and like, would people, would there still be righteous people versus the completely unrighteous, the, 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 just, just this natural instinct to dominate. I'm like, is that what we would become? Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah. I, that's where it takes my mind. Yeah. Well, I think we probably would, because if you think, you know, we started off without having these systems and, and it's, we, this is where we've got to. And we have people who are, I guess, more attracted to the, what we would call like the good human characteristics and people who maybe have uh, expressed more of that darker side of, um, of traits. So I imagine if there was this complete reset of some kind, that you would still have that happening. Right. Yeah. You would find your own little, your own little personality for whatever reason would, uh, start like, um, it's almost like a bond in the universe is drawing people together like that. Right. Like you find people you're alike to, and then, uh, Mm. you start developing your new tribe. Yeah. Wow. Well, for some reason I'm feeling, I don't know if it's the weather, but now I'm feeling really depressed and really worried that (laughs) this coronavirus is going to deteriorate society and I'm going to have to make a choice between being righteous and just being the person that does whatever, um, which freaks me out. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, in order think, to go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I think, I mean, what I've seen um, during the coronavirus stuff here is you do get some of the survival stuff coming out, I guess. So at the beginning you had the, the panic buying and, um, and there were a couple of things that happened here. Um, we had a few, so a couple of cities away from us. Um, people have burnt out food delivery vans. And it's like, well, <laughs> people are wanting to stay home and shop. So it's 
at the worst time. Not that it's a good time to, you know, commit arson. But they, um, they literally burnt yeah. food delivery vans. Yeah, they just yeah. They just, Why? Yeah, the the small ones. I don't know. But at the same time, you've also seen these amazing acts of generosity and and kindness, and so you're sort of seeing both sides of it. So we had um, there was a, a drive to have people volunteer um, for the health service as volunteers either to transport medication or transport things to people who are isolating or just to phone people who might be lonely and, and isolating to sort of check in on how they're doing. Gotcha. Um, yeah, and they wanted to have a quarter of a million people in like four or five days. Oh, wow. And they had over 400,000 people volunteer within 24 hours. Oh, wow. So, you know, I think there's been a lot of people really stepping up and really wanting to help. But at the same time, some people just being a bit of a dick. Dude, I I still can't believe like the thought process behind why are you burning? Like you're worried that the food delivery truck is going to spread the virus? I don't know. Right? Like is it a a political – see, well, there we go with the dystopian. I didn't want to even ask a follow-up about the people being nice. I just wanted to find out more about (laughs) these arsonists and like the motivation of why, why? But I suppose that's a um, a human brain thing because we do have this negativity bias and I think it is a bit of a survival mechanism that we kind of focus Uh, on the negative. And so if you think about if someone says something nice to you, but then they're like, however, but you focus on that negative and it takes like nine positive things to outweigh that one negative. Jesus, that's so true. Yeah, that's and I guess it is like a survival thing that we have to be aware of those things that, that could be a threat. So we focus on them. Yeah. Right. So you're not, but, horrible. um, yeah. Huh. I wonder if it's like the hope of like, okay, yeah, this will be done in like a month, two months, three months, like the hope of returning to normal. That's keeping everybody in check. Maybe, you know, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Cause I think there was, cause we had initially a sort of three month, a three week lockdown and they're going to review it. Right. But this idea that it could go longer. And actually, I think a lot of people for those first couple of weeks were kind of on hold. Like, well, yeah. will we be going back to kind of normal? Or and, and then when the indication is actually this is going to extend possibly for a longer term, I think people have settled into that because then it's like, all right, we kind of know what's happening. We can right. plan for that. We can adapt. Whereas when it's just that, who knows? that's really unsettling in itself. And I think we're, we're very adaptable. We just kind of want to know what's going on. And when it's too vague of how long it's going to last, then we're yeah. really unsettled by it. But if someone's like, this is how it's going to be for say six months, we can adapt to that. Cause we kind of know, right. All right. It's not ideal, but six months I can get my head around that. Yeah. Well, it's why we love like numbers and seasons and time, right? Cause it helps us to organize. It helps us to plan. It helps us to prepare you know, that, that pattern, mm-hmm. it just, it's comforting. The, the false sense of control is comforting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I had, um, I had a moment last week, which was really funny. And it, like you said, it's this full sense of control. And I think when you went out one and of the reasons... a food truck. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> but, uh, oh, dude, I so thought I was going to get you to confess and then turn this yeah. into a true crime. Damn it. Come on. <laughs> no, it, it wasn't me. Um, <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, like we have this sense that we're in control. We're not. <laughs> and life is always uncertain, but we just kind of think it's all under control. And I think that's why people have been quite 
unsettled because suddenly it's really thrown up oh actually everything's uncertain and it's just we've come really like face to face with it so I uh Monday last week I was feeling a little bit I was struggling to settle into a routine and I was feeling a little bit kind of adrift so I spent a bit of time going right this is going to be my new work at home schedule and this is when I'm going to work this is when I'm going to take a break and this is when I'm going to have a drink yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, did I put that on there I don't know <laughs> uh, so I, I planned out this whole this whole schedule and so then Tuesday was going to be the first day I was going to do it right nice. so <laughs> yep. the first thing was getting getting back into my fitness habit which had kind of fallen um aside and my gym is doing like zoom based classes right. so I can still do them and so my alarm went off at half five and I was like, no, no <laughs> I'm too tired. No. <laughs> I'm too late. Wait, I'm, I'm just yeah. going to pause you there. You're too tired because you've been stuck in the house doing nothing for how many days at this point? <laughs> <laughs> a couple. <It's> the, <laughs> I, the thing is, I've got out of the habit of getting up at five to go to the gym. And yeah. my natural body clock, if I left it, I, I probably go to sleep at like 2 or 3 a.m., get up at 11 a.m. That's my like natural Yeah, dude, rhythm. me, so, dude, honestly, me too. Like, what the fuck is that yeah. about? I don't know. I don't know. Sorry, but, I didn't um, to cut you off, but man, that's like weird. <laughs> like, dude, I the, the less I have to force myself to wake up at 6, the easier I'm finding myself like, dude, I'll, I'll go to sleep at like 2. And then just yeah. like wake up whenever. It's like, dude, it could easily be 10, 11 o'clock before my body's ready to yeah. like figure some stuff out. Yeah, so I, I kind of went to bed way too late when right. <laughs> I was trying to get up at half five. So my alarm went off and I was like, no, I'll just do it later in the day. You'll <laughs> be fine. So I got up at like half seven because um, I still had work to do that day. And my dog was starting to get a bit restless downstairs. So I kind of got up and I went into the bathroom and put the light switch on. Nothing. Oh. So I went downstairs and the master uh, switch on the, the circuit board had tripped to something in the house was um yeah tripping the switch so we had no power so I was like okay fine so I had to sort of go around the house unplug everything figure out what it was that was that was tripping it and it was the boiler uh so we then managed to restore power everywhere else but we had no hot water and our landlord is fab so he came fixed it by like half 11 we had water again nice. uh, hot water but my schedule for the day it was just completely gone no doubt. <laughs> and it's this was just such a like, you know, not every day, but like just such a mundane thing to happen. And it was really like, oh, there is no certainty ever, is there? Like you never know what's going to happen. We just think we've got this control and it's just an illusion to make us feel better. And yeah. so it was actually quite reassuring because it's like this was nothing to do with coronavirus and it still, you know, messed up my day a little bit. Right. Actually, that's just what life is like. Um, so... Yeah, dealing with little inconveniences and um, not letting it like completely ruin you. Yeah, and and again, it's it's that adaptability that we can handle this stuff, but we just yeah, we just like try and hold on to that sense of control and that, that things are going to go our way, right? And that that's not guaranteed. So in a way, it's kind of reassuring that actually, although this is a different new thing that is um, causing uncertainty, actually, that sense of uncertainty is not new in itself because that's just what life is like anyway right yeah yeah it um it makes me think too the um like roller coasters haunted houses skydiving right like like there we as a as a species i guess like embrace this whole thrill this unknown you pay for it you seek it out 
But at the same time, you're like, all right, I want to get on this roller coaster, but I know I need to have seen someone else do it or um, like, yep, click. Okay, cool. I'm safe with the buckle. Um, how many times have you skydived? And you want to experience this um, unknown feeling, but you want to have as much control over that unknown as you can. Mm. And, and I think so. no, yeah, go ahead. I, was say, I think sometimes you've got like a love-hate relationship with it as well. And so I always remember um, I used to go gliding when I was at, at college, but not college, university. Like we have college before that. <laughs> so <laughs> 17. Um, and it was in um, the, um, not like a hang glider, like a little glider plane thing. Um, oh. And so I was I was learning how to to do that, and I I did manage two solo flights and didn't die, so that was good. But no I went way. up with one of the instructors to do aerobatics, so they can do like barrel rolls and flips and all that kind of stuff. What and is wrong with you? Good God! Well, the thing is, <laughs> I, I do have a bit of a fear of heights. Oh my God! So I had this like thing with the aerobatics. I'm like, yeah, let's do it. And then as we're getting ready to do it, we're going like straight down ready to do this loop I'm like oh fuck why am I here to want to do it we did it we did it it was fun I was like oh yeah that's great let's do it again and then as soon as we start doing it I'm like oh shit why are we doing this so it's that kind of like the fear and then you have that exhilaration when actually it's quite fun and then straight away you're like oh (laughs) I'll do it again but then that that build up so I think we we like that I guess it makes you feel alive yeah, right. Yeah. And I almost, there's something within us that just wants to test ourselves constantly. And I don't know if it's, again, that like survival thing, the same reason maybe most people are skeptical, like the resilience of, oh shit, if I ever needed to do a barrel roll for whatever reason to live, I now have that capability. <laughs> so let me I go mean, and like figure this out, right? I wasn't controlling it. So I don't think I have the ability uh, to do so, it. So you're not like but, the person that's sitting by the window that's like in the emergency exit and like well, emergency it, it, barrel roller. In the, it, <laughs> so in the glider, you've got um, the seats are one behind the other. Right. So actually that makes it more scary because you're at the front. So you've just got this really open oh window my God. in front of you. Yeah, right. Um, so... You know, I could, this was a while ago, if I could take off, fly it around, get it down on the ground. And when I say take off, I mean like be towed up by a plane with its own, with its own engine. <laughs> oh, because it's a glider. That's right. It's not like it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. No engine. So actually the first, I had the, the first flight I did by myself. <laughs> and the whole time I'm like, right, <laughs> how do I get down? And you're like, well, if the rope breaks now, where am I going to land it? Because I you know, can't keep going up and. Right. So I was doing all of that and, and I could have gone higher on the toe than I did, but I kind of got to like the minimum. I was like, let's just get back down on the <laughs> ground. Um, but do the you... next day I had to go up and do all this extra like safety stuff. Like what happens if you stall it? What happens if you go into a spiral dive? What happens if you're in a spin? How do you get out of it? And that's important stuff, but not fun because <laughs> no. the instructor just puts you into this shit situation and you have to get out of it. Oh my God. Which for most of them involves um, being like pointing nose down, <laughs> going fast, and then kind of pulling back up. But if you're in a store, you have to push the nose down, pick up speed, and kind of level uh, forward. You can pull back up. So it's um that makes sense. Yeah, makes sense. Not fun. <laughs> not, not if you're fucking yeah. at the windshield of it. Good God. <laughs> um, I mean, you're, yeah, strapped in and stuff, but um. 
Um, so what made you do that? Was it the fear of heights that brought you to wanting to be a glide, <laughs> glide pilot? What, what is that even called? A, a... Um, I don't know. A glider. Glide, um, I don't know. Gliding pilot. And I, um, so I, I had two solo flights and then I sort of went off to university and then I didn't really do it after that. But it's quite funny. My, my granddad was also afraid of heights and he used to glide which wasn't actually really related to me starting. It was quite a fun thing to, to talk about with him because he'd sort of reminisce about going gliding. Oh. But um, a friend of mine from school, she went down the gliding club and it had its own kind of social uh, element. Um, oh, so you just wanted to fun. be cool. You just wanted to be the cool kid at the bar yeah. talking about <laughs> like, yeah, I fucking glide. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a fun thing to tell people, but I was just because I was the, like yeah, 17. Yeah, I was like 16, 17, driving a tractor around the airfield, towing stuff. I got to drive this um this Land Rover as well to tow cables, and I wasn't allowed to drive on the roads. Right. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It was so, how old fun. were you when you when you were gliding? When a glider, a glidis? Glider. <laughs> I, I don't know. What, um, what do you? How do you identify in your gliding? Are you a he, she? Are you? <laughs> I, I, don't know. I guess I'm a, a former glider. Okay. Um, I guess because I don't do it anymore. Glider asked it. All right. So like yeah. how old were you when you did that? Uh, so it was when I was at um, college, like UK college. So I started, I must have been 16, so 16, 17. Holy um, shit. I spent most of my weekends at the airfield. Um which was good fun, but it was quite scary sometimes because you um, we had the, the main runway that we took off on um, if you're being towed up. And so, because you can get like a winch stop, which is basically like being catapulted into the air, which I was never a fan of because oh my, you have you that. Oh my, could you fucking um, imagine? <laughs> yeah, that feeling of your kind of stomach. Like a up. crossbow. Um, is it just like a giant yeah. crossbow that fires you on an angle? <laughs> Um, not quite, but yeah, you're kind of, you hook, um, a cable to the front of the, um, the glider and then you've got this engine right at the far end and it basically pulls the wire back in like really fast. Uh And so at the same time you're controlling the glider to kind of lift and go up. And so it is kind of like catapulting. So, um, I was never a big fan of that. Dude, my stomach just (laughs) dropped. I'm sitting here right now and my stomach just dropped. I could not imagine. (laughs) I, I I much preferred like the much gentler being towed up by an aeroplane. Okay. But the main um, <laughs> the main runway that we used, where our airfield was, um, you had the runway and then you had the peri track, which is just like the little road on the airfield. And then we had a road, and then we had the beach, <laughs> and we had the sea. So, you're so it just runs off. Sea. Yeah. Well, yeah. You're, so you're, it's beautiful flying over the sea. And the first time I uh, flew a glider inland, I was like, where's the blue? What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> but flying over the sea, you know, when you're on that bit, if the, if the rope breaks, you are not high enough to turn around and land back on the airfield. So you would have to land in the sea. Okay. Um, luckily, Search and Rescue also operated from the same airfield. <laughs> so they would know. You landed in the sea, but um. So it was more comforting yeah. than like, oh, I didn't make it up high enough. I'm gonna land in some trees, kind of a thing. <laughs> I mean, you can maybe try and do a sully and try and land on the sea. Um, okay. I don't think I had the skill for that, but fortunately, the cable didn't break, and right. <laughs> you managed to get up high enough and get around. So, how long are the um? How long do you glide for? For it depends. Um, so you go up to a certain height, and then the skill 
is in finding these thermals, so these areas of lift. And then you just kind of, you might see these if you see gliders, they're circling. Yeah. And so they're finding this this updraft of, of warmer air and then they lift. So they'll just spin around and they'll go up to a higher altitude. And I know some people that were gliding at the same time would, would there was like these different levels that you could do. You had challenges. So you had to fly a certain distance or um, achieve a certain altitude. You had to be in the air for a certain amount of time. And there was one that was like five hours in the air. So you have to keep flying around, finding the lift. Um, there were some quite long cross-country ones. So someone would go off cross-country and then if they'd lost the lift, they'd, um, <laughs> they'd phone up someone because they'd have to land in a field. And someone would have to go with the trailer and pick them up and the glider. <laughs> um, but I never got to that that stage. I just kind of did just around the airfield and then like back down on the ground. So yeah, you talk about people wanting to fuck themselves up, man. Like a five hour <laughs> glide. Just hope. How do you find these pockets? Is there like a thermometer, like a temperature gauge, radar type thing that's getting you no. towards warmer air? No, you just have to kind of. <laughs> fly around and feel um, it huh? but you can feel them yeah you can okay. feel them when you go through them because you'll you'll feel yourself kind of being lifted and you can kind of see it on the, the, the altimeter as well and if you're not the first glider up you probably see other people circling and so you kind of have an idea gotcha. where they're likely to be so uh, man i'd be looking for like seagulls and just trying to follow those things or like around here we got turkey vultures and they just glide for days man like they barely flap their wings and it is pretty amazing. It, it, yeah. I mean, you know, when I thought we were going to talk about this, is not in any way the direction I thought we would go. <laughs> it's quite fun to kind of uh, reminisce about gliding. Yeah, so. dude, I've never, I don't even know if we have gliding, honestly, around here. There's a couple airports, um, smaller, like way smaller little hmm. country airports. Um, but I think there's actually an airfield, but they're all engine, like um, almost like little cars. Mm. that I mean like I'm just amazed that people trust those things <laughs> I mean you can um you can get motor gliders so a friend of mine and he is um a, a professional pilot now so he flies for like a big airline but he loves gliding that's where we met um and so he'll sometimes fly in a motor glider and the thing about that it has an engine but you can switch off so you can switch it into a glider and it's oh, not quite yeah it's like a hybrid it's not quite as aerodynamically um, set up as a, as a true glider. Yeah, it's got to be heavier, but, right? So like trying to yeah. glide with a motor, wouldn't that like make you sink or fall? Well, um, I mean, I'm an expert in the, kind of um, the design of them, but I guess it's that mix. It's not got the most powerful engine, but it just means that that you can, I guess, fire it up if you need a little bit of extra juice right. to kind of keep going or... And I guess you can take off by yourself and then just turn off the engine and glide. Gotcha. Yeah, I guess that would be yeah. the appeal, huh? Instead of always having to have like convince your buddy. Like it's hard enough to get like a ride yeah. somewhere, but to like find someone and convince them, hey man, can you just give me a tow like to the air so that I can well, glide? <laughs> well, in, in the UK, there's um, gliding clubs. And so they're set up like this. They'll have the, the winch, the catapult thing, but they'll okay. also have these tugs and you'll have a pilot who's a, a real pilot who will fly the um the plane with an engine to do the toes gotcha. and so yeah they're set up as a as a club so you so. just schedule your time yeah are there crazy yeah. people out there who like get up high on a mountain and then just let their glider go almost like a free fall 
and then try <laughs> to like do it that way, like extreme gliding? Not with these type of gliders. I, um, <laughs> I think they're too expensive for you uh, to want to throw it off. And I don't think we've got mountains high enough for gotcha. it to work. I mean, you have the hang gliders, which is the kind of the weird like seat thing with the um, whatever it is. Yeah, it's like a triangle, type. like a, a yeah. harness, right? Yeah, people are. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. So you have those. And I know um, there is like a, a hill near us where people do that off of. But I don't think they're as heavy as a, a full glider. And Yeah, I would say way not yeah. as heavy. Man, those people. And probably not as expensive. Yeah, well, it's a fucking kite, right? Like you're you're strapping yourself into a really big kite and just hoping yeah. you can steer this not into like a power line. I mean, I just that stuff. I don't know, man. I, th- that's a different type of person that um does those kind like challenges air. I don't like gravity mm-hmm. is undefeated. Why do we want to challenge it? I, I don't. I don't get the concept. I don't know. Maybe you should try it. You might enjoy it. There's no way in the world. <laughs> I might try, like I would try gliding on the moon, right? And I'd have to be tethered. And this way, if you fall, it's like, you're not falling as much as um, floating down. But that's the thing. In a in one of these gliders, the, the ones I did, essentially what you're doing is a nice controlled fall to the ground. And as long as you don't get into any kind of dive, right. actually it feels quite gentle feels quite slow and quite quiet up there. So it's just a controlled falling. There it is. People trying floating, to control floating. people trying to control the uncontrollable. That's a fake sense. You're not softly floating. You're plummeting to your death and you don't realize it. <laughs> I- <laughs> like I wouldn't be able to like, that's exactly what I would say the whole time. I, there's no way I could talk in the moment, talk myself into like, I'm going to trust this, whatever, like, I don't even know what material they're made out of, right? Like metal, steel? No, fiber, fiberglass. Fiberglass, yeah. Should, I think there was an older kind of wooden one. Um, but I think they're mostly that kind of, I think fiberglass. Golly day. Um, no. But I always remember we had to wear um, parachutes just in case. And there was one instructor, I remember, and he was a big guy. And he was, he didn't, basically, he didn't wear a parachute because it wouldn't fit in the glider with him. <laughs> and then he was, <laughs> just wouldn't. Um, and he was like, you're not high enough for it to be effective anyway. <laughs> so you're just wearing this thing that really isn't going to make a difference. But psychologically, it just makes you feel yeah. so much better because you've got that parachute there. Wow. Wow. Like, and you still well, went up ma- in the air with him after he said that. You, you didn't say next <laughs> next instructor. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, you know. You were fine. Good God. Man, so... You had said something and I don't know if I like, I even have like a particular format. Cause I try to like lead people into like, what's your story kind of a thing. And it was mm-hmm. funny how you were like, yeah, I didn't think I'd be reminiscing um, <laughs> about uh, gliding. So um, yeah. then I'll ask, let's uh, have this conversation, have a little bit of control and direction. Um, <laughs> what a story were you thinking about telling Hannah? Oh, well, I don't know. <laughs> what is I your story? Some stuff like this and it would just come up, I guess. I don't know that the story I've kind of been uh, reflecting on the most lately and, and talking about is kind of, I guess, mental health and, and, and that type of stuff, because that seems to be how my, my life or my, my career, I guess, is kind of focusing. So that seems to be the, the story that I'm talking about the most. So I thought maybe we would talk about that. Um, God, is that what you studied? Is, maybe more fun. 
Well, I think gliding is probably why you got into mental health because it maybe like screwed up some wires and you were like, I got to learn how to fix this. Why do I want to die? <laughs> yeah, no, I, <laughs> but I know maybe it was something about, you know, um, heights was something I wasn't a fan of. And so maybe it was that a way of trying to conquer it. Um, how do you know? But well, I was just wondering, and, like, and why'd it, you get into it or what made it appealing to you? I could hang out with my friends. There were boys there. I don't know. <laughs> no, mental health or hang or gliding. Cause I was talking oh, about God, mental was, health. <laughs> wow. I was saying gliding, but mental health. <laughs> <laughs> my, all my friends are there with health, mental health problems. So, and there's no, a lot I, of cute boys I can fix. So awesome. <laughs> oh, I mean, there are a lot of people that No, I think, um, with, with mental health, it's, um, I don't know, I guess like a, a gradual thing. And I, and I think throughout definitely my teens and university, I've struggled with my own mental health um, and not really kind of consciously been aware of it that much until I, um, I started working. And I went to this mental health awareness training and they're talking about depression and, and the, um, the kind of symptoms. And I honestly was nearly crying because I was like oh my god they're describing me like I was gonna say that's completely. that's a pretty good symptom right there right when you hear about it and you're like <laughs> emotionally brought to tears yeah um I mean I, I was like oh god yeah and I and I know before we, we came on we were talking about labels um a little bit yeah. and actually you know I think people have like a really mixed view of labels because there's some people who really don't like having a label or other people labeling them and that kind of thing. But I think for yourself, if you've had this feeling, which I'd had of there's something wrong with me, I don't understand. I don't fit in. I don't, I don't know why mm. actually having a label that says, this is why it's you're an, feeling what you're feeling, or it's actually really reassuring to know you're not a complete freak. Well, it's <laughs> just an, kind of where your mind sometimes goes. hundred percent dude. It's empowering. Right. Cause, cause now, you know, yeah. like the, the reason you like labels is because they're common characteristics or qualities of something, right? Like I, I, mm -hmm. I enjoy going to the meat department and finding meat. I would be really freaked out if laundry detergent were in the meat section, right? Like meat has certain qualities and then you know what to do with that. And it applies mm -hmm. to people. You know, if you're, if you're feeling a certain way and you just don't fucking know what it is and then someone puts a name on it, you're like, oh shit. So if it has a name, people have thought about it. And if people have thought about mm -hmm. it, there's ways to deal with this. And it's like, it gives hope almost. Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, I think it's it's that hope that there is a way of dealing with it possibly. Um, or even just that sense of not being alone, that there are other people that get it or other people that experience it as well. And I think that's part of our, um, of being human, I think, that we want to in some ways fit in and, and have a similar experience to people but this is why I think we're an interesting species and and, and psychology is my like big passion so that's why but we we want to fit in but at the same time we also kind of want to be special and extraordinary mm, so we right. have this weird thing of like you know we want to we want to kind of be like everyone but we also don't yeah why, so why do you think some people are scared or I don't know if scared is the right word but why do you think people um don't go all out to try to be ex, um, to not care about the accepting, I guess is, I don't even know how to fucking word it, but like you, you do, you feel this tug, but why, why do you have both emotions? Wouldn't one be more prevalent? Like, wouldn't you just always want to be tribal instead of individual? Well, I mean, 
kind of from an evolutionary psychology perspective, you'd say it's that kind of survival thing that we want to be part of that that tribe because mm. actually if you were a social outcast, you know, millions of years ago, actually that was a real threat to your survival. And then maybe there's this residual um aspect of, of wanting to be social and we are an inherently social right. creature. We we enjoy it, although I say that I have social anxiety, so it's kind of like a mix. But I think there was uh, something I read once and it's this idea that actually the people who are in some way feeling that they're not normal, so people who maybe have mental health difficulties or any kind of difference, like neurodiversity or, or whatever, have this sense of wanting to feel normal because they're on the periphery in some way, they're, they're wanting to feel normal. But most people who are kind of normal, if you like, in that, and I use normal kind of... Yeah, like if, it's the accepted term. It doesn't yeah. actually have any meaning because there's no such thing. Yeah, really. everything's relative. But, but basically, like if you're the accountant yeah. working like a nine to five, wearing a flannel yeah. button down or whatever. Yeah, and if you, um, you know, seem to kind of just you know fit fit in with everyone, you don't have anything that in some way excludes you from that that normal. Then you want to be special in some way. You want to be exceptional in some way. So you have the people who kind of don't feel normal wanting to be normal to feel that they fit in for the people that are already kind of in that space. Although I think we all probably at sometimes feel like we don't fit in depending on what, what group we're in. So if but, survival is what, and that, that makes sense. Cause I've actually, that it does like evolutionary, you need a tribe in order to whatever, you don't want to get eaten by blank animal, right. And night if you're by yourself, but then where do you mm-hmm. think the desire to be unique and stand out came from? good question i don't know i suppose maybe when we you know became human and 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 maybe there are some people who don't believe in evolution but i do so i talk about an evolutionary point of view um you know as we as we evolved into humans and we developed this kind of you know the, the prefrontal cortex and all our advanced reasoning and all that kind of stuff and maybe became more of kind of an individual because we had more of that ability to think and maybe developed more of a sense of self than, oh. I mean, I, I don't know if we previously had a sense of self in the same way. Yeah, that, that's actually <laughs> a great point. point. So like if you get a life of comfort, then you start to go, what's that like a Maslow's hierarchy thing, right? Like food, water, shelter, safety. And when well, you're feeling well, safe, yeah. then you're getting like self-actualization. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so that's about, you know, being your, your best self. So then you're really thinking like, oh, okay, all my basic needs are met. Yeah, so right. how can I really be my best self or or be an individual. So yeah, you just blamed supermarkets and housing (laughs) for people wanting to be unique. You're coming up with a theory. I like it. (laughs) Yeah. I'm just completely making up this theory because I've not really thought about that question before. Those are the best theories, man. Right. Like, I mean, like think about like once, once our food, once our desire for food and warmth, right. Safety. So if you can find housing, that has water, electricity and stuff, right? Man, you're you're very much set. And now you add supermarkets where I can dependably go to somewhere to get any cravings I have fed as long as I have a means to get it. Like, I'm good. So then what else do I mm-hmm. do? What else replaces that time that used to be sent or spent looking for warmth, looking for shelter, looking for food? Mm-hmm. And you turn within, yeah. right? So like supermarkets what? and urban living are the reason... <laughs> That, but, but actually, before on Maslow's hierarchy, before you get to the self-actualization, you've got that kind of self-esteem level. And I think that 
links oh. to that that feeling that you kind of fit in in some way. So if you feel that you don't, then then quite often that is tied up with self-esteem. I know for me with, with my depression and anxiety, definitely self-esteem has been a big thing. And I think once that level's been met and you're like, oh yeah, I kind of belong with these other these other people, um, then maybe you get that more kind of, oh, well now how can I stand out or how can I um, not care so much what people think? Now I feel some sense of security and some yeah. kind of self-esteem in myself yeah, and typically like that, that should be like the family unit, right? Like most people, yeah. they come from that family unit. You can go out and try to do things because you always almost have that safety net of no matter what, I'll be loved by mom, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. So you have that, yeah, like that secure base. And um, and then you can kind of, it's like the, you know, the child exploring. They got a secure base. They kind of check parents are there, but then they'll go off and play. My dog does this as well. You'll see yeah. if you've got a pet, they'll be like, <laughs> I'll go off plate or just check you're still there. Yeah. Um, right. So that's all tied into that self-esteem. And I guess, yeah, if, if for whatever reason it's not really developed through through childhood or it's not really secure, we kind of need that external validation first in some way to kind of feel enough in ourselves until it's internalized and we kind of in ourselves are like, yeah, I'm, I'm good enough. I'm whatever enough. Right. Now I can show myself to the world more and, not worry so much what people think because in myself I know actually I'm good enough what were you going through that um had you feeling like kind of depressed or anxious I I think one of the things with depression and anxiety sometimes is that you know it doesn't really it's hard to kind of pinpoint what it was and I think for me I when I went into secondary school, I didn't really know that many people in the secondary school that I was in. And then I was bullied throughout secondary school. And that has a massive impact. Wait, bullied in so, secondary school is like what age? Like high school. From like 11 to 16. Wait, you start high school at 11 in London? <laughs> we only have, so we tend, there are a couple of places that have a different system. But usually we have primary which is from like four and a half, five up to 10, 11, depending on when your birthday is. Okay. Uh, and then you then go to secondary school, which takes you from yeah, 10, 11 up to 16. And then the years from 16 to 18, sometimes is a sixth form attached to a school. Sometimes it's a separate college. So usually you're just in one school from 11 to 16, sometimes 18. Got you. So when you say university that's actually we call universities colleges here but that's when you graduate our high school which is after 18 basically yeah yeah so we we, when we say college in the uk we mean probably like the last two years of high school um we have separate college so some of my friends went to a sixth form i went to a college but that was yeah 16 to 18 gotcha um so when you think back to being bullied do you laugh about it now or does it make you cry because depending on how you emotionally respond, I don't want to ask a dickhead question. <laughs> <laughs> um, I feel like now I'm just kind of a bit ambivalent to it. Oh. So I, I feel like I've sort of... Um, Word of the day. Pros- <laughs> so yeah, I sort of, oh, it's probably because I'm doing like counseling training. So it's like the word. But um, I feel like I've processed it enough for it not to be like a really raw thing but I can still feel some of the impact of it because it has like a wide-reaching impact and and I have been bullied as an adult at work which is just particularly as I was a teacher at the time and you kind of think that in that situation the adults would know better but 
not oh. always the case. Um, no, teachers so, fucking suck, man. Teachers get stuck in like the <laughs> mental, like like if you taught third grade your whole life, there's no way you're not a fucking third grader on like how you deal with conflict, <laughs> how you make friends, like how you talk. And I really believe like just fucking being around people, if you get put in one spot too long, it shapes your personality in an awkward, inappropriate way. So don't feel bad about mm. that. You, Yeah. That's that. Yeah, so... So yeah, so you can so you can ask about the bullying. I think yeah, I still feel the impact, but I feel like in some ways I've kind of come to terms with it. That and I think a lot of things with with bullying, it's there's maybe something about you that, and I probably you know wasn't very secure in myself. So it's maybe in some ways a bit sensitive and, and a bit of an easy target in that way, maybe. But ultimately, it's a, it's about the other person, and it's something they're trying to get from that bullying about trying to make themselves feel stronger or better or whatever so I kind of now I'm like you know it wasn't really about me (laughs) and um you know yes it's had an impact but if I keep kind of dwelling on it and and feeling bitter about it I guess then the only person I'm making miserable is myself so I've kind of in some ways come to terms with it and uh, maybe it's made me a stronger person I don't know (laughs) so you thought you thought for some time that you were giving off like hey come bully me vibes well, I don't know. I think sometimes, you know, I think um, maybe I was quite sensitive to stuff. And I think with with bullies, it's that kind of if they get a rise out of you of some uh, kind, yeah, of some fucking, kind then they then yeah, then maybe you're like, oh, it was quite, it was fun. <laughs> so I'm going to go yeah. to that person again. So maybe that I don't know, or who knows, really. Are we talking about like stereotypical mean girl bullying? So like in America, I don't know if in London, there's this whole fucking mean girl thing where like you're a bitch to be a bitch. Like you're just fucking snobby. You'll openly make fun of me for no other reason than to just openly make fun of me. Um, is it that kind of stuff or like social isolation before coronavirus <laughs> that was forced <laughs> upon you? Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't think it was the mean girls in the, in the same way, but maybe a bit of that. And then, yeah, some kind of social isolate, isolation. Um, but I mean, I, I had a, you know a few friends in school, not in my class, but in other classes, and you know, got through it, I guess. And and I had some um, family stuff going on as well, so I think that also, um, particularly towards the end of secondary, that kind of added into my general kind of mood related stuff. Gotcha. So just going through stuff that gave you kind of like little hope for man, shit's going to be better as I get older. Yeah. I I guess. um, So, I mean, I can, I can tell you what it is. It's not a secret. (laughs) So I am, when I probably about 13, um, my parents got divorced. It was quite um, kind of messy, I guess, like difficult time. And Mm. The, the first I knew <laughs> it was happening, and it's quite funny now, looking back on it, but we had, um, I remember it really clearly because we had Charities Week that week, and so our school put on all these activities to raise money for charity, and so we've been doing a charity ice skate, which basically was when we went and had a social and ice skated, but people sponsored us to do it. Nice. <laughs> so, yeah, nice. <laughs> so I went with my friend, who I used to cycle to school with, and... Um, we, we came back to my house and my mum and my dad was working away at the time because um, his work had relocated. He was away during the week. Um, my mum had just packed everything up in boxes. And because my friend had come in with me, she said something about having a sort out. And then when he left, she was like, oh, yeah, we're moving. And it was just like, 
okay. <laughs> it's just uh, out of the blue. Like, you basically. just came home and shit, and there's yeah. fucking boxes. Yeah. Jesus, that's yeah. traumatic. Have you yeah, asked your mom, so- like, why she dealt with it that way? Or I guess maybe she was just overwhelmed as fuck, probably dealing with her own stuff. Yeah. Huh? But uh, yeah, and <clears throat> so, and I think this is the kind of thing of coming to terms with because I think I have for quite a while this, um, you know, a lot of issues with my mum and feeling kind of um, unloved in some ways or not good enough and, and all that kind of mm. stuff ab- about the, the situation. And then I kind of, you know, my mum's mum had um, mental health difficulties. She was delusional. Um, she was a very difficult character. So kind of now I can sort of think about my my mum's experience and, and actually think probably she's just doing the best that she could. And it wasn't ideal at the time. But again, it's that if I keep kind of going over it and holding that resentment, I'm the I'm the one that's yeah, you know, gonna a, be suffering. Right. So it's that kind of, you know, that I can be a bit upset or annoyed or let down by it at the same time as recognizing actually, you know, she probably was just trying to do the best that she could in that situation. What um, sort of, What was your reaction when you walked in? Did you start kicking boxes and breaking <laughs> shit? Did you cry, run away? Like, Jesus. Curse? Were you cursing at that point? Did you have as foul a mouth as I do? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, uh, I don't know whether... I, I think it was just that kind of shock of, all right, <laughs> what what is happening? I do know that when we moved, I got the biggest bedroom on Sam. Oh, yeah, right. Spot. Um, did you manipulate but, your way into that or did mom just give it to you? Were you dropping hints the whole time? <laughs> I was, no, I just like, I'm having this. Oh, <laughs> having you this claimed one. it. I claimed it. Dude, Although boss she move. <laughs> but, but it had like loads of built-in wardrobes and then half of those ended up being hers. Uh, um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I think it was just like, no, this is going to be my room, which wow. happened to be um, the biggest. Yeah, but, you, you're um, like, go ahead and say something. I dare you. I dare you to tell <laughs> me this is not mine. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that was like a, you know, a really unsettling time in the kind of middle of, um, of secondary school. Um, And so I think that, and like all the issues that I kind of took on from that, um, and with the bullying, I then for years had this, you know, we'll go back to Maslow, that self-esteem thing, just being missing, really not feeling good enough, which is when I'm only just starting to be like, all right about, um, maybe some days. Because everyone's like, that's like, puberty ish time man so you're feeling awkward as hell anyway Mm. you know like that's a fucking jesus that's a nuclear bomb of emotional distress (laughs) you put all that shit together yeah yeah was there one like stupid almost funny bully story where you were like what the fuck are they doing like i just don't get this or it was all just super nasty and mean it was just a lot of um, you know, people not talking to me or kind of just being, you know, a bit, I don't know, funny or, or whatever. But I do remember one one time when someone asked me something, um, whether I'd said something about them. And I was like, I don't know, I can't remember. And they were like, if I hit you, would you remember? Oh. I was like, I was like, maybe. Why don't you try it? And they were like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so well, it's that kind of... You know, all talk and be like, try it. <laughs> now, <laughs> like, how how confident were you in your fighting skills? Are you a hair grabber? Are you a push and take it to the <laughs> ground real quick? Or like you got like a little jab combo, one, two? Well, at 
that time, um, I, you know, I don't know, but I mean, I have two older brothers. Oh, yeah. um, and it, my younger sister is quite, um, quite fiery as well. But actually, since then, you know, I did martial arts a bit at college. And, and oh. um, I did for a while do a bit of MMA and Krav Maga. And I'm not in any way good at those. But um, <laughs> I also, if I was in a fight, I wouldn't um, back down, I guess. Right. Uh, so, um, and, you know, I'm a Leo, I'm a bit fiery. So I'm also, uh, the thing is, I think, um, I guess the energy that I give up, I'm, you know, I'm very quiet and calm a lot of the time and chilled. But at the same time, it's that kind of, I guess, inner strength, like the don't mess with me type thing. So it's not really blatant and in your face. Yeah, you're a fucking but, um, dormant volcano just waiting for <laughs> something to shake your world and you're going to fuck something up, huh? Wait, <laughs> well, I burn out a food delivery truck. <laughs> I mean, dude, all the signs are pointing to it. See, really, this is a true crime podcast and what I'm trying to do is get a little psychological profile. I'm slowly going through <laughs> London to figure out who, who fucking did it. Man. But, um, yeah, so, I, I, yeah, I think I've got, I'm, you know, I'm not a big fan of, confrontation but actually when I when I did kickboxing in college and some of my friends went and I was not very good at sparring because I wasn't very good at moderating so I just would hit them oh <laughs> so, so I quite have to apologize because I wasn't very good at yeah holding it um holding the power back if you like yeah I've never I've never I've never done a sport that like wrestling jujitsu martial arts MMA like I've never done anything football in like middle schoolish maybe was like the mm-hmm. physical like hitting tackling thing so i don't know what that um <laughs> i honestly don't know what it would be like to just fucking like the point of us is to hurt each other but not hurt each other but learn <laughs> how to hurt someone if i really want to hurt them but trust me i'm not going to actually hurt you yeah well actually um so maybe this is maybe this is feeding into your psychological profile as well because I actually did uh, for a couple of years play a full contact sport, which is it's it's you know very safe and strategy based, but it does look quite aggressive <laughs> when you watch it. Um, which is roller derby. Oh no, fucking! Dude, do you realize <laughs> I was literally about to ask you? Because the fucking <laughs> the skating story, right? So if we put it all together, like your origin story. You're having a happy time skating. You come home and you're emotionally distraught and you fucking grab your roller skates and helmet, elbow pads, and you go to the rink and you're like, I'm fucking someone up today. Like, dude, I could totally, we need to make you into a comic hero. That's what we need to do. Yes. And then like roller derby, something happens and you realize physical pain isn't where the pain is. It's more mental. And then you become like this Zen person afterwards and now you help people to avoid wanting to hurt others. Ah, oh, see, I like that. Dude, oh, if, if, only I, <laughs> if only I could draw. Jesus, I'd have that thing banged out in a fucking week. That'd be awesome. I've got some friends that can draw. I'm not sure, um, you know, maybe I'll send this episode to them and be like, can Yeah, you I'm going to say, it, man, if they're thing. listening, someone fucking sketch that up as a poster and let it put, <laughs> like, put it up in your office, dude. That shit would be tight. <laughs> what I will say is um, I was never – absolutely amazing at roller derby but I think because um uh, so if you if you um have watched roller derby or play roller derby there are two types of players there are the jammers who are the fast people who score points Mm -hmm. and they normally they're very agile they can get through spaces and then you have the blockers who tend to be just um 
a much more uh, well they block basically so um and I think because I had sort of it's quite um I guess like a, a bigger frame and quite strong so I would yeah block or sometimes kind of like bulldoze so you kind of get like a shoulder in and you kind of just make a space in the wall for your pajamas. Right. I did that quite a lot so um yeah so that was my sort of playing and I was never fantastic but I did for a little while play for the A team for for Bath um so the so, A team for is that the college team no so it was just we just had a, a team in the in the town and then we played in other leagues against uh, other teams and so we had an A and a B team and at one point I was on the A team oh got you and how many people so, are coming like are, are people just getting like shit-faced and watching y'all wreck <laughs> each other is this like a Friday night over there no, it's a, a Saturday or Sunday, usually during the day. And depending where the bout was, sometimes there might be a you know a licensed place where people could drink, sometimes not. Oh, okay. Um yeah, it depends. Um I was about to tell you a story then, but it's not my story to tell, so I probably, <laughs> probably shouldn't. Oh, um, about but quite often people would have you know, have a few drinks after and um, yeah. Okay. So it it will um, it just seems like that would be I'm a pretty big believer in like when you go through shit with people that's um, traumatic before the drinking, like it's pretty easy to be social with someone if you're having a drink. Right. But that's not like a sustainable relationship. If you're just drinking buddies, it's very surfacey. But if mm. you go through shit and then celebrate with drinking afterwards, it's almost like cement hardening where it like fortifies the relationship. So I'm mm. thinking of y'all as like roller derby people. And that must've been like a kick-ass group of people to just hang with. Yeah. Cause y'all had to be a little fucking crazy, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess so because you're, you know, on roller skates kind of hitting people being hit in October. Uh-huh. <laughs> My parents came to watch a game actually. And I had to sort of brief them beforehand that you like train a lot, but getting hit and falling safely and whatever. And I was like, cause I probably will get knocked over. And I actually don't think I fell over that much in that game. Um, but, um, you know, you do do spend a lot of time falling over and getting back up. So, um, what was the angriest you got in a game? Like where you just started breathing heavy, seeing red and you're like chasing someone down. I, I don't think I ever got like angry, angry. Cause it's more, it's, you know, you're playing with, you, you like your team. You, we would play against teams that we also liked and respected. So you're not really angry with them. It's kind of that professional and it's a very, um fun kind of silly um supportive environment mostly not always because with any sport and kind of group and I think one of the things I quite like about roller derby is it tends to attract people who maybe you know again are kind of on the outside so it's a bit more alternative sometimes and kind of goth and and that kind of stuff because it yeah it maybe attracts people who identify a bit as like a misfit from the mainstream yeah yeah you're not going to play tennis and then change the roller derby right (laughs) well when when i played i think now it's um it's kind of got a bit more professional feeling right but most people would skate in like um tights or fishnets and then like these little booty shorts and stuff and it would be really kind of slightly alternative people have face painted and and all that kind of stuff um but you know we were playing against people that we liked and respected so you're not really getting really pissed uh, off with them um so it's more like a professional focus i think and gotcha. so we drink afterwards but obviously when you're playing a game you i mean the chances you're going to fall over and 
hurt yourself, like break something. They're pretty fairly high anyway, so you don't want to have alcohol in your system when you're doing that. Yeah. Oh, no, yeah. I didn't think like y'all would be drinking before. <laughs> Jesus, no. no. No, I was more thinking like the people in the stands just to make it rowdier, you know? That's what I meant by that. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, sometimes. Yeah, depending on what? You know, I think we had a lot of um, lot of sweets as well. <laughs> sugar like high. Haribo, just... yeah, sugar high. Yeah, and we had, do you know, do you have those dextrose tablets? They're kind of like really like um, energy tablets and they're a really sugary huh. thing and you have them if you just need a quick sugar boost. Do you have those in the States? Um, I mean, we got like Red Bull monster drinks. I'm sure there's <laughs> five-hour energy, like those kind of things. Um, I don't know so much as... There's this weird thing I haven't taken them, um, like for like truck drivers, like Jacker mm. stuff where it's like just caffeine pills and it's whatever, like 3,000 hundred million milligrams of caffeine, make it all night. And I feel like they actually sell them as like a, um, a sexual performance enhancer as well. <laughs> so you like either are really wide awake or you're just, your stamina, your stamina in all aspects of your life is increased by taking these. And okay. I'm like, I don't, I don't think I should be able to get that for like a dollar fifty. That can't be, that can't be the, the money in the market doesn't equal up to me. So I've never trusted them. Uh, yeah, no, I don't think they're that extreme. They're just, I think they're called dextrose tablets and they're just these kind of like, yeah, it's like a big, um, like a, a tablet, I guess, caffeine like up. in the same, no, like they're, um, they're almost like a like a sweet of some kind, like really sugary tasting kind of um, sweet. I can't think of like an equivalent thing, um, but they're quite chunky. They're probably like an inch, but like half an inch, like square. And you just eat those. They just taste nice, like sugary, but they give you a boost. I don't know. Gotcha. Yeah. See so. the adrenaline of competition in itself is all the boost I need. I don't need performance enhancers. Oh, I had a special Joking. playlist as well for the car on the way. Oh, to, no to a way. Game. Heavy metal? So, or yeah. Gangster rap? What was yeah. it? <laughs> Mostly heavy metal. Uh, so you have things like drowning full bodies. Oh, <laughs> the dude. Bodies to the floor, Let that's the quite, bodies that's hit the floor. Thing. Let the yeah. bodies hit the floor. And then the fucking drums come in. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dude. Yeah, that, I, yeah. that kind of stuff. Dude. Um. <laughs> so, Hachi, Jesus. And you still, I, even after all that amped up on sugar and drowning pool, you still didn't want to just go out and fuck somebody up. You still had the control of your emotions yeah. to have professional respect. Man, that's admirable. I was an, I was an athlete. <laughs> <laughs> wasn't really. I'd sometimes get like a McDonald's breakfast on the way, but I obviously on the, on the, when I was on the track, I was a, obviously a professional athlete. Um, but not professional <laughs> Jesus dude hang gliding MMA roller derby and now it makes me sound way yeah. more um, I don't know yeah. like risk taking and athletic than I feel <laughs> dude it don't it, it, you ain't gotta be well the risk taking is for sure I think you should feel like that because I'm I'm hearing a bunch of danger in all this um, <laughs> and athleticism it's funny man like some people athleticism so relative they feel like they have a particular they have to have like a particular body type to be athletic like oh i gotta have a six-pack oh i gotta have like defined arms or whatever but i know like a lot of dudes that i'm surprised and i'm like you're an athlete and then you do stuff with them and you're like jesus you are an athlete <laughs> mm. you well i i do um crossfit now 
And anytime there's like burpees, I'm running. I'm shit at it. Right. And I have asthma as well, so that doesn't help. But I can lift heavy stuff. Right. <laughs> we were doing just before we went on lockdown. Uh, the last time we were doing bench pressing, I had to go and bench with the boys because um, I can <laughs> bench quite a lot. So um, yeah, I had to go and up that end of the room. And I remember I went to um, a different gym for a day when when because um, it's just like a small. Uh, gym and they were on holiday so I went to just like a, a chain gym and I said to the guy <laughs> I'd set up the bar to do some benching and I said to him like how much is does the bar weigh because they have different weights and he was like oh it's 20 kilos and he goes you've got 50 kilos on there but, yeah and, I, yeah. <laughs> and he looked quite concerned um but you know and I, I think it's I don't know whether it's that preconception like oh you're you're a girl or maybe because I don't look like a kind of stereotypically kind of buff or whatever but he definitely was <laughs> was a bit concerned about whether I could lift it yeah and then you just yeah. walked over and grabbed like two more two and a half kilo plates and threw them on they were like yeah, you thought 50 was <laughs> impressive stick around bitch <laughs> yeah well I didn't have a spotter so uh. I, I've done heavier when I've got a spotter but because it was just me I was like I can, I'm confident I can do that for however many reps yeah, yeah. and it'd be safe. I'm not going to decapitate myself. Right. Um, yeah. Man. So the CrossFit yeah. is now your outlet, huh? Nice. That is. Yeah. It's become my, and I was quite surprised I managed to stick with it. Um, because before lockdown, I was at five days a week up at five in the gym at six for a 45 minute CrossFit session. Yeah, dude. The, um, the CrossFit people <laughs> have to be going nuts, right? Cause they're so used to having all that like weird ass tires and ropes and fucking chains mm-hmm. and, you know, like doing all this different shit. And like, I don't know around here, it's very groupy. Like your, your CrossFit group is your, like, that's your support group. Right. And you're like cheering yeah. each other on and, ah, um, and to yeah. be isolated from that at home, like that's, I feel for man. That's tough. But we, um, so we're doing sessions via Zoom. So you can still get shouted at in a nice way um, at 6 a.m. just from the comfort of your own home. Um, And so I don't have like a barbell or anything like that. So I did get a kettlebell and then I've got um, a skipping rope and and stuff. So obviously you're kind of adapting stuff. Um, But they're running um, pretty much all their sessions like in an adapted way. Um, and we also, so I have uh, the same group of people that I usually work with and we did, have you seen the app house party? Yeah, I've heard, I've heard about it. Actually, I was kicking yeah. around the idea of when, like, I've just been trying to figure out how to best like record these things like zoom, mm. Skype, FaceTime, Facebook messenger, whatever. So house party, I was kind of messing mm. with, it's not like I have friends that I get to party with, but we'll get into that in another session. Um, <laughs> but I was thinking yeah. about it for recording. But but I did a house party with um, so with the, the girls from the gym the other day and had a chat. And actually, on uh, Saturday night, the gym did a big quiz, and um, it was quite a thing to put together because they had cahoots, which is um, like a school-based like quiz website. Yeah. And so, yeah, so you had the captains, the teams. There are ten teams, about fifty people doing it. So you had team captains were on cahoots, so they needed one device for that one to watch the zoom that everyone was watching to see the questions and then one to be able to message uh, message their team so oh. um yeah it was quite an impressive thing so we kind of did that saturday night so they're doing a really good job of kind of keeping the community gotcha. engaged um so yeah i've yeah. been surprised at the extent to which people are now like um 
like there was such a fucking disconnect of actually hearing voices and talking. And now like with zooming and seeing each other, I, I wonder if that's going to like come back, you know, cause you think of the old school telephone call versus the whatever. Now you're just fucking texting or posting and you, you feel like you're interacting, but you're really not. We're like conversationally and seeing people is kind of like how interaction should be. It's so much more personal. Mm. Well, I find I've been, I've probably been being more social now <laughs> than I normally right. would be because instead I'm a bit antisocial. I get like social anxiety, so it's kind of too much. And I think that's one of the reasons I stopped roller derby because it's such a big group of people and like training was quite late and quite tiring, but it was that kind of constant need to be social that just made me too anxious, I think. But what do you I've think that anxiety, well, I'm, I'm curious because I, I sometimes wonder if I have social anxiety like big groups fuck me up man like I don't I, I don't enjoy being in large groups what is it about them that um mess like what gives you the anxiety well I think for me and and so this is something that, I, that I'm working I'm trying, I'm trying to work on now but it comes back to that kind of worrying what people think so much and uh, and I found or I kind of realized it for myself a lot of the time what I was doing is I was so anxious about what people thought of me in situations that rather than just kind of being there and being myself, I'd be like overanalyzing everything I do and like, what would they think about what mm. would they think of this? And so, and that's really tiring. And like constantly worrying yeah. about what people think of you rather than just being like, this is who I am, just kind of deal with it. Right. So I think it was that, is that worrying so much and it ties back to that the self-esteem stuff and not feeling enough. And I think when I had all that going on, and, and I still have it a lot of the time, but I'm in a, a better place with it. Actually, yeah, it was that kind of, oh, my God, what, if I say this, what are they going to think? And oh, I said, just said something stupid. And and so that then took up so much of my kind of thought power. And obviously, if you're in a much bigger group, you have that kind of amplified. Right. So, and so now, <laughs> one, I'm in a sort of, better place I'd say around that and I still at times get quite concerned that people think when I'm trying to be like do you know what I'm in a better place with how I feel about myself so it doesn't matter so much to me what other people think yeah and it also I interviewed someone for my podcast and she said this amazing thing <laughs> which was just like when she said it you're like oh this just makes so much sense but I've not thought of it in that way and she said if you imagine you know if you're trying to get everyone to like you She's like, think of like the Westboro Baptist Church or like the KKK and like what kind of person you would be if they thought you were great. Oh, wow. Like you wouldn't want to be that person. No, that's, like, yeah, that's decent. Yeah. I was like, you're so right. And, uh, you know, we worry about wanting everyone to like us, which is just not possible anyway. And you think of some people, you're like, actually, I don't want them to like me because my values are so different right. to what they stand for. I wouldn't want to be associated with them so um so yeah. wait no no and i wasn't laughing at you I, I do this thing where i get um goofy ass mental images in my head and i realize <laughs> other people can't see them and then maybe they think they're <laughs> laughing at me so i started thinking you know how like if you have a fear of public speaking they're like just picture everyone naked and you'll calm down <laughs> so like if you get in a group of 10 and you see someone roll their eyes you're like oh that motherfucker's wearing a hood and you just like throw a little like sheet over them and you're like kkk member Oh, he's racist. <laughs> and you I just mean, start ticking them off. I mean, I, I haven't thought of it in that way. <laughs> I suppose, I suppose you know, you could. Or just, yeah, so I just, um, and trying not to, you know, to be so concerned about it. But I, I've been kind of putting myself out there a bit, kind of 
in some of the, the groups I'm on online and kind of interacting with people. So I feel like actually on lockdown, I've been more social than I normally would. And I've been kind of FaceTiming with friends and, and stuff like that. But actually, I think there's something about the fact that it's from the comfort of my own home and that separation actually makes it easier, I think, for my anxiety. Or it could <laughs> it could also be that kind of feeling in, in a better headspace about it myself yeah, why, that means why do you, I'm, I'm why do you think not that quite is? a bit concerned. Like just being seeing people on a screen versus being in – do you think like you have the quick ability to like exit out if shit's getting awkward? <laughs> Maybe I can pretend there's like storms and wind and stuff like that. Oh, is Cancel. that what you thought I was doing? Oh, man. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Or maybe, maybe it does go back to the evolutionary thing of that kind of threat because it's not, you know, in the room with you. Not that in a social group ah. people are literally going to turn on you physically and attack you. Yeah, yeah. But maybe there is some unconscious like psychological thing that's like, do you know what? I'm in my safe space. Right. Like, even if I do feel threatened by you, you're not in my safe space. So, I don't know, maybe. Yeah, you can't get to me. Man, that's interesting. I, I hadn't, yeah. hadn't um, heard uh, somebody bring that up, but I wonder if it um, would become a truth. Like, just FaceTiming or seeing people. There's uh, some theory where you're getting over, like, your fears. And it's like, is it gradual exposure or something like that? Well, like, whatever. Yeah. If, if you're scared, yeah. scared of clowns, we're going to show you a picture of a clown for one second, <laughs> once a day, you uh, know, and build up your uh, rationalization. Yeah, like um, systematic desensitization. Jesus, maybe you, you know what? Maybe your credentials are real because that sounded way better than mine. (laughs) Well, that's because I taught psychology up to A-level, so up to 18 years old, and that's one of the things that I did teach. Oh, no way. Okay. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so you have, um, if you've got a phobia, well, there's a couple of ways you can have something called flooding, which is not fun. (laughs) So imagine if you... If you're afraid of, do you have a phobia? I'm not going to admit that shit on here. You think I want people <laughs> just throwing that in my face all the time? All right. Go, I'll go with like the classic one. Gir- giraffes. Like spiders. Oh yeah, spiders. spiders. That is one. Right. And so flooding would be something like, I'm going to put you in a room with, maybe not full of spiders, but spiders. And like, you're not leaving until you're okay about it. Wow. Like you are going to get over this phobia now. You like Sink can't leave. or swim. But, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, um, you know, uh, quicker, but not <laughs> right. but a bit more stressful. Whereas, like, systematic desensitization is like, okay, maybe it's like saying the word spider or seeing it written down, and then maybe it's like seeing a picture of a spider, and then maybe the spider's on the other side of the room. And once at each stage you've kind of chilled out a little bit with it, right? Then you do the next one. And so, you beforehand, you would go kind of like, what's like the hierarchy of fears? Like, what is the worst thing? which may be holding a spider and then kind of working back down. Yeah, yeah. And then, and the idea is that like, if you're in that fear state, that, that high state of arousal, that, that can't actually last for that long. It will start to kind of level off. And so the idea is you're kind of seeing that for yourself. So you're kind of like feeling that fear. And actually, once you get to that point, you're like, oh, actually, mm. it's okay. I can, I can hold this picture of a spider right. and I don't feel so stressed. I'm like, I'm okay with that now then you do like the next step and uh, yeah, just kind of like retraining your brain. Cause if you think about spiders, <laughs> if every time you saw a spider, your response is like run away screaming, then that pathway in your brain just gets really well trodden. Cause you're just going over it and again and again and again, yeah, yeah. And reinforcing it. And so 
you're trying to like create a new pathway that is okay if I see a spider I'm gonna put a glass over it and I'm gonna put it outside and then the first time you try and do that might be terrifying (laughs) right but (laughs) but actually you've created a new pathway and then the more times you do that that strengthens that and actually I have a friend who um she was terrified of spiders and when she had daughters she was like I don't want to pass on that fear to them so I'm gonna have to like so she was faking it being okay with spiders right her daughters are fine with spiders but now she's not afraid of them anymore because actually she's created this new pathway by pretending actually she can deal with spiders now and I'm not saying like she's like got pets and she's like you know spider (laughs) queen she's breathing but she she can deal with them without having that kind of fear response because it's just that kind of yeah kind of dealing with it and being like actually it's fine it's not terrifying yeah so what was that called again systematic de desensitization systematic desensitization I almost feel like that can be like like what counseling is about too. So, you know, if you're feeling your whatever anxiety, depression, your awkwardness, your anger, just by talking about it almost like repeatedly, you almost become in control and desensitized to that emotion's control over your actions or over your feelings. Hmm. Maybe. Or I think, you know, if you think about if there are particular situations that make you anxious, you have that kind of doing like a little bit of it (laughs) and then kind of building up, which I suppose has that same idea. So if if like yeah if it's social anxiety or, you're with one person and then now invite a friend too yeah yeah or like going to a party or something it might be like okay fine i'm gonna i'm gonna go to like a small gathering and i'm gonna stay just like five minutes and i'm gonna go and then like building up to going to i don't know like prom or something uh, <laughs> you know it's just that kind of slowly building building up and i and i think um it's like getting to a point where you're like i can handle this whatever that kind of fear is and so yeah you kind of build up to it and you can handle the previous step right and you're like all right I'll try the next one and when you can handle that it kind of yeah so did you are you like an actual psychologist like you went to college for counseling or are you a I don't even know what the different like there's a one that can prescribe pills and one that can just listen to people yeah, I, I, bet, I don't know if, how different it is in the UK and the US. Uh, so in the UK, the only one that can prescribe pills is a psychiatrist, and they're a okay. medical doctor who then specialise. Yeah, yeah, that sounds um, right. Psychiatrist yeah. versus psychologist. <laughs> I'm not one of them. <laughs> um, also, not a psychologist yet, hopefully. Oh, so good for you. I, so yeah no, well, so I guess my, I'm like saying like not good for you that you're not one yet but like good for you because the way you yeah. said it, it sounds like you're gonna yeah. fucking pursue it man that's well, awesome well yeah let me tell you so <laughs> my background so my my bachelor's degree my like kind of undergrad um I did politics and social relations don't know why Wait, um so say that politi- for, politics politi- and assassinations and <laughs> international relations oh I was like whoa Which- talk about some morbid <laughs> shit politics and assassinations you're trying to work for the fucking like cia I mean, wow that would be an interesting degree <laughs> no well it would explain I mean, a lot about your training with roller derby and mma <laughs> and all this stuff man I'm, bench pressing so much like you're ready to fuck yeah. something up i mean people would be wary of you wouldn't they if you're like no. oh yeah my degree is in assassination <laughs> uh no <laughs> international relations <laughs> uh, and then then i was like 
what I want to do. I don't know. So I went into finance for a bit and then I retrained as a teacher. So I did my, um, in the UK, like PGCE, so postgraduate certificate in education. So a year training, became a teacher. Uh, and then I, I have a master's in psychology that I did in that role. And I also studied at graduate level dyslexia and autism. So I kind of was a specialist oh. teacher. Oh, wow. Um, at the, yeah. At the moment, this year, I'm doing a counselling certificate because hopefully, fingers crossed, in September, um, I'm waiting to hear if I've got a place on the course. So hopefully in September, I'll start doing a doctorate uh, to become a doctor, to become a psychologist. Uh, so there are different types in the UK. Um, I've gone for counselling psychologist, which is pretty similar in a lot of what they do to a clinical psychologist. Um, so, yeah, so that's why I say not yet, because hopefully in September I'll start a three-year course to become a proper psychologist, a doctor, which would be quite fun. Damn. And you're hoping... Do you then like open up your own practice? Do you then like go and work for people like in a, in a larger office or do you well, it, get it, to it, just be unemployed <laughs> with a bunch of student debt and still teach? <laughs> so it depends. <laughs> so um, a lot of clinical and counseling psychologists work for the health service. Oh, okay. um, so government so work. Yeah. Or I could work still government, but in education somehow I could go into private practice or into a practice with other people, possibly. I could do research because it's, um, yeah, so the doctorate is like PhD level research as well. Oh, so that's okay. part of it. So I could, it's quite, it's quite open. Yeah, yeah. Um, Are you leaning a certain way? Do you hope to do something uh, with it? I want to have a mix. Oh. So like at the moment, um, whilst I'm studying, I'm sort of doing some like coaching, like mental well-being type coaching right. have my podcast and that kind of stuff and I guess I kind of want to have a bit of doing my own practice and being able to counsel people as well as doing the kind of more coaching type stuff because they're very different um but I also like the idea of maybe working a bit with the health service or education so I kind of want to have a bit of variety because I think that's that works for me I don't like just doing the same thing I think kind of having a bit of a mixture yeah. It's what I'd like to do. Well, it also probably like it's, sharpens your skills and keeps you fresh, man. Cause you just got to keep thinking about shit. Mm. Yeah. And I think, you know, that, that it's different, different types of people that you work with. And I, and you know, suppose anyone you work with is an individual, but I think considering my background and my experience, I'd be really interested in working with children and young people, people with autism. Um, so my research proposal is, is around autism um because again that's my my background when I taught most of the time it was in a kind of specialist education environment so I think that's kind of what are you hoping to do your research on what's the proposal so my my research proposal um so basically in therapy what the what the counselor is trying to do is understand the client's like worldview because everyone's got their own worldview and someone who's on the autistic spectrum has got in some ways a, a different worldview because of their, their different understanding of the world as, as we all would, but it, it's kind of, you know, it's a, a different perspective. And so what I want to do is try and understand the experience of therapy in particular the therapeutic relationship from the perspective of 
people who are on the autistic spectrum. If that makes sense. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> but like, how do you even yeah. go about measuring that? Because it and like I know you can be all over the autism spectrum, but the communication can tend to be an issue, right? I think it depends, and I and I think um, you know that there, there are different ways of communicating. So if you have someone who uh. is nonverbal or um, is less able to to verbalize how they're feeling, it's possibly through visual stuff. And and I think probably the the people on the spectrum who would be accessing the kind of talking therapies or CBT that I would be looking at would have some level of of verbal communication gotcha yeah Um, yeah. so um yeah but I mean I I've sort of it's not going to be one of these um you know lots and lots of people type randomized controlled experiment because there's not actually a huge amount of research in this area so it's going to be much smaller kind of interviews with maybe six people and really kind of looking in detail at what they say and kind of drawing out themes from that. So it's more kind of exploratory piece of research to get some ideas. So, and I, and I know when I, um, I taught at a residential college for young people on the autistic spectrum and actually, you know, they were able to communicate how they were, how they were, you know, feeling and, and what was happening and, um, you know, I think it's just, it's a lot about just getting to know them, getting to know how they communicate and sort of building that relationship. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. So th- fingers crossed. Dude, well, <laughs> I, mean, I was it's... supposed to have an interview, but it was cancelled because of Corona. So they're doing uh... paper-based assessments. So it's all based on how I look on paper. So. Oh, dude, they're not even see. doing like a little Zoom conference or some shit? Um, I think they're going to if they feel that they need to. So oh, just kind of have to wait and see. So fingers crossed. How because I think. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I think, you know, it, it took me a while to really kind of figure out what I wanted to do. And I sort of toyed with the idea of becoming a psychologist or counsellor before. And I think really I wasn't in the right place in my own mental health journey, if you like, to actually do it. And I feel like now I've kind of got to a good enough place in myself and I kind of figured out what I want to do. So I'm kind of hoping that it kind of comes together. So. Yeah. Well, dude, the topic sounds interesting. And I would think if there is not a lot of research on it, universities would want to produce people that add to the knowledge base. Right. So mm. it seems like that's a, I don't know, man. Like I never thought about that, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so I, that's hopefully that it's really more about, I would think, and I don't like, um, here I am speaking like I know what it's like to be on a fucking PhD board accepting applicants, but like I would be looking for someone who's passionate, who has experience and who is kind of has a unique idea of interest in adding to the academic field, right? Like yeah. how, uh, how exclusive is this a uh, PhD course? Um, I don't think it has a huge number of places and I think it has a fairly high number of applicants um so so yeah it just depends and and it's I guess it's the whole combination of references application form research proposal we had to write a narrative thing as well so I guess they just look at the whole thing and um you know your background and they have to 
assess you on two fronts one's the research but the other as it's training to become a psychologist it's that aptitude and whether they think that you have the the skills that are required to to do that role so and yeah. are there is it like a common major in the universities over there or is it like this is the only shop this is the only place to get this degree in psychology there are a few places um it's not something that every university offers um and so kind of local to me this one is probably like an hour's drive um, to get to um there is a closer university that they don't offer this type of psychology they offer clinical so it's um yeah it's kind of there are a few places that do it but it's not everywhere gotcha so yeah, I would have been the guy that got like the online degree from the shady website where you basically just pay whatever a flat fee and then they guarantee that you can be called <laughs> doctor afterwards. Like, yeah, oh, well, in the UK, there are um, certain titles that are protected that you have to have done. You know, so doctor, I believe, is one of them. Um, uh, psychologist. Smart. Is, I believe. Um but then you, if you had just a research PhD in, in psychology, you could call yourself a psychologist. And then it's if you want to be, say, clinical or a forensic psychologist, you have to do a particular course to use that title. So, yeah. And you said it's different than because you call your you call yourself. I feel like I'm labeling <laughs> you now um, a wellness coach. And you said yeah. the psychology was a little different wellness coaching it's more about lifestyle than well, just the straight yeah. theories is well, that um so coaching and counseling are, qu- are quite different so and I guess the type of coaching that I'm doing and it's on like the side of my of my main role at the moment but and like mental well-being wellness is my kind of thing so it makes sense to kind of pitch that's my to jam. my strength that's that's my jam uh, it's your playlist yes my that is that's my jam uh I like that song uh, so, <laughs> um, so you know, I would kind of play play into my strengths, and that kind of I guess falls loosely into that kind of life coaching thing. Um, but coaching and counselling have got quite a different um, focus. So, whereas a counsellor is someone who is going to help you kind of go back over maybe some trauma that you need to process and deal with, and quite a lot not exclusively, but a lot is thinking about the past and how that is impacting you now. Okay. And, and, and dealing with like some quite heavy stuff sometimes, whereas coaching is much more kind of present and future focused. So it's kind of, um, and this is like a broad generalization because there's a bit of overlap and there are different types of counseling, different types of coaching. Yeah. But but that makes sense. Yeah. Coaching tends to be, this is where you are maybe there's some stuff like limiting beliefs and and things to work through and then it's like where do we want to get to and then that's let's kind of plan to get there so it's kind of yeah it's it's not so much deep heavy stuff and and if you're working with a coach and there's a lot of that kind of past stuff that's coming up that needs to be processed that's probably something for a a therapist or counselor rather than a coach because actually you know it's hard to go over that that trauma stuff and and actually in some ways it can be dangerous if, oh, if you're you can, working with someone who dude, doesn't have that 
hundred percent. You'll fuck someone up, man. You'll ask the wrong yeah. dude. That's part of like my thing with this shit. I'm like, Jesus, if I like, if I ask you about bullying and I open some fucking wound and now all yeah. of a sudden I set you down, like whatever that path is, you know, mm-hmm. like that's, that's a real thing. I think, isn't that why? Like if people go through a traumatic ex- or like, um, almost like rape, if they admit to being mm-hmm. raped, you don't want to ask them what happened. You want to get them to the person and have that open up this way. It's only opened up one time, kind of like whatever the right way is the right way. Yeah. Well, it's like, you know, if someone discloses something like in a school environment, for example, you don't ask pressing questions. You just note down what they've said because you, one, you don't want to kind of um, suggest anything that, that didn't happen. But also, yeah, because it's it's something that's possibly traumatic and and you're not qualified maybe to, to deal with it. But also, I think with therapy and, and coaching as well it's about finding the right person for you finding that right fit because it is very much about that relationship you have with that person and you need to feel oh, safe you need yeah, to so feel much trust that, Jesus, so yeah, much and, trust and and that might not be the first therapist that you speak to or the second you know because they might not be able and also yeah they might not be able to deal with your stuff because maybe it's too close to some of their own stuff that they've not finished oh. dealing with because i mean that's that's a big part of it and um why for a lot of um therapy training programs you have to be in personal therapy as well and then you have supervision once at least in the uk once you're qualified because you know if someone's going through say they're going through um some difficulties with the relationship and that brings up stuff of your own that you've mm-hmm. not processed. Yeah. Then one, maybe you stop listening to the client because you're thinking about your own stuff. <laughs> Two, <laughs> yeah, because that's what we do, you know. And um, and and a therapist is kind of fighting that natural urge in some ways to like try and fix people or try and be like, oh well, let me tell you about me. Their part of the training is about holding that back to actually show up for the person that you're helping. So if it's too close to home, then maybe you go off into your own world. Or if it's too painful, you can end up like colluding with your client because you're not going to really help them deal with it because you're going to kind of like back off. So they bring something up and you're just not going to maybe focus on it as much as you should because it's too painful for you or it's too close to home for you. So So you end up... I'm I'm sorry, and it's part of what uh, sucks. I've I've been getting better at the timing of interjecting with people, um, but not being able to read body language. I tend to speak over people, and I don't mean to. But I, you had said something, and it's so like, how does the supervising body know? Is there a form you disclose that says, "I went through these experiences," or do you have to like sit through a no. counseling session with a higher up and prove like, do they role play kind of a thing? I guess I'm. So when you're training, depending on where you're doing your training, you probably have like group supervision. So you'll have supervision once a week, say, and there'll be uh, someone who is a more experienced counselor or psychologist or whatever. And then you have other people at the same level or similar level to you. They might be like a year ahead. And then you might bring something to the group that you're trying to maintain confidentiality. So you don't be like, oh, Sean said this in his session. (laughs) You'd be like, I've got a client and I'm finding this challenging or whatever. And then the group will maybe kind of help you think about it a new way. So you're just regulating, you're almost like regulating yourself professionally, realizing the, the, like the power you have. Yeah. And then ongoing supervision when you're qualified probably is one-to-one. So you'd have a supervisor, you'd see 
um, I can't remember the requirement in the UK, but it's based on every however many hours of client-focused time you have, you have an hour of supervision. And so you meet with your supervisor and that's the time to bring up anything that you're finding difficult. You might also have personal therapy, which is about bringing up the stuff that's come up internally for you. Yeah. But you could also talk about that with your supervisor, although it's not a therapy relationship with them in that way. It might be, oh, I'm really struggling with this or, or you know, I felt something in the room, but I didn't talk about it. And so that's part of that, I guess, professional integrity of yeah, having right. someone to make sure that when you're in that room for a client, you are able to show up for them, that you're not going to basically project your own shit onto them. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or just make yeah, them whatever, we, like all husbands are dirtbags, right? And it's just because like you had a bad <laughs> marriage. It's like, nah, man, fuck it. Be yeah. on your own. Yeah, well, we, you know, we all have our own baggage in life. And and I think with someone who is, you know, a qualified counsellor, like psychological counsellor, they have processed to a, as much as they can, yeah. or they're much more aware of their shit that they're yeah. bringing to the room. Theories and so practice, right? Like, I know what I should do yeah. just because I'm not doing it doesn't mean I can't tell you what you should be doing. <laughs> yeah, but I think that's, in that, in that example, you're at least aware <laughs> of your stuff. Right. But the danger is if you are not aware of your stuff and it's unconscious and it's having an impact, but you're not aware of it. So if you, if you know, I should probably be doing this, but I'm not, at least you're consciously aware of it. Yeah. So but if you are not even aware that you have this issue, but it's going to have an impact in that relationship, that's when it can be potentially dangerous. So when you have people who are saying they're a counsellor or a therapist, this is something for me, and I know in the UK, those types of roles are protected. But I think even with coaching, sometimes there are people who say they're coaches. They're not really coaches. <laughs> they're maybe offering more like mentoring or right. maybe more like therapy. And and I'm, a, I'm quite wary of that because I do think that when you're dealing with trauma or that difficult stuff, mental health stuff, like you said, there's that big chance that you can actually do the wrong thing and fuck someone up more. Yeah. Even if you mean well, just because you don't have that supervisory support or you haven't dealt with your own stuff. So, you know. Yeah. When you thought, again, this is one of my stupid ass goofy pictures, um, in my head, I, um, I think actually might be two podcasts down the road. There was a couple in Kansas who wound up met, meeting on, um, plenty of fish online dating mm-hmm. site. Um, so I almost wonder, is there like a therapy Tinder where you can just scroll through therapists to like find your right fit? I think there is an app that I've heard of it in the US on on a podcast I listened to. I can't remember what it's called. Um, so there are, I think, some things like that. But um, Cause it, I, yeah, not I think in the same. Yeah, I'm just like thinking, like, anyway. man, how like it's to it would have to take so much time to individually schedule appointments, meet, sit, go to a couple sessions, and then feel like ah, eh, this wasn't the right fit. I'm gonna move on. Or okay, where if you need the help, you need the help. So you almost need mm-hmm. some sort of like filtering system where, well, like for instance, and I, I thought about this too, like it would be weird to me and maybe I've just watched um, too many uh, movies. I forget the one. It was a really good book, but like where the girl falls in love with her psychologist or psychiatrist mm-hmm. and then um, they wound up framing him for the murder. Fuck. What was that book? John Stamos was the psychologist in the movie. But anyway, like, that what if a guy goes to a psych a psychologist and all of a sudden it's like it's a female and you're 
that's like weird for them. Or even the opposite. If a female is like, I don't want to deal with males. Well, I mean, depending on what you bring up, then there might be a legitimate reason to want a psychiatrist or psychologist or counselor or whoever who is the, the same sex or different sex to you. So for example, if you have got a lot of issues with your same sex parent, you might not want someone who might in some way remind you of them, even though their therapist in some ways might remind you of that parent, even like regardless of what what sex they are. Yeah. Um, but that that is one of the the big things is that kind of relationship thing, and and it was something I, I was actually I've got an essay to write so <laughs> reading about this, and and Freud was very wary of this and about the kind of unconscious stuff that can happen between two people um and I guess that's that's part of the the boundaries and that professionalism of the the therapist and I guess if there is too much attraction or whatever and they don't think that they can actually be there for the client without it becoming unprofessional right then you know then they'd have to refer on because you know you absolutely can't have a relationship with someone you're working with because it's such it's I guess it's the same as, you know, like in schools, that kind of power imbalance and you're working with vulnerable people, it's not appropriate yeah. to to do that, even if, you know, you're you're two adults who maybe if you just met on the street would would have hit it off. Actually, you know, that person is opening up to you about, you know, their their deeper stuff possibly. It's it's not appropriate to then, you know, make moves on them. No and doubt. Just kind of slide slide into the DMs, as the kids would say. <laughs> yeah, yeah and I guess it's that you know I think a lot of the the role of the kind of the professional in that situation is is to be aware of their own stuff and actually if that's what they're kind of you know feeling or bring up to take it to their supervisor and if it's something that they that is possibly going to become an issue and then it might be referring on yeah, yeah. To, to a different therapist yeah yeah, I don't, I don't know how to take the conversation from that. I don't know why my mind went there, but I guess I, I don't know. I can't remember the movie, but I just remember it was like one of those weird plot twist books where the guy's wife is going to the therapist. And then again, the therapist is John Stamos, one of the most gorgeous men God has ever created. And like, he's just fucking, he, he takes advantage of her. And I'm like, mm. like that, I might've been one of the first times I was really thinking like, dude, if you wanted to you could completely be a fucking scumbag in these like hour long, you're on your own sessions with people. Like that's a lot mm. that, that trust that these vulnerable people are coming to you with is, um, is really based mm. on your credentials of like college, right? Like they just believe you've gone through enough shit where you don't want to lose it by messing me up or taking advantage of me. Mm. Well, I suppose that's the, you know, when you go through a proper training program, they will have, vetted you they will have trained you have that supervision um that hopefully yeah that's not gonna happen but I think there are still situations where where things do happen or where there are things that are maybe just you know even even if they're not like an accusation like I'm almost thinking like Jesus if you just gave someone some advice or therapy they weren't happy with and then they come out and Mm -hmm. say like you touched me you know, like, how do you, like, man, it's just us in the room. How are we mm. settling that? But I think that's the importance of that, having that super supervisor, is if you think there's a situation with 
with a client where maybe they might be disgruntled or you get like a weird vibe if you you're taking that to your supervisor early you're kind of you're not just kind of hiding the fact that um, yeah right maybe they might be unhappy or you're getting maybe you're getting a weird vibe maybe they're sort of coming on to you or something actually if you're being open about that with your supervisor you're kind of flagging up actually so so say you have um, a client who expresses interest in you in that way and you sort of you know, try to professionally be like, oh, like I wonder, <laughs> I wonder why, you know, you're saying that. And Let's explore kind of your thing. feelings for me. Do, do yeah, I remind you, know, you like, of, Jesus, that would be, would you do that? Like, is that standard practice? If someone's well, like, you know, I'm really well, into you. Well, let's explore why you're attracted to people who listen. No, <laughs> you wouldn't say that. You'd say like, maybe you might say something like, oh, I, I wonder why you're telling me that. Or I wonder why, you know, that not like why are you attracted to me if you're like I wonder why you're saying that here now like that kind of thing or wonder whether it to get to the motivation um, of it yeah yeah to kind of, yeah to kind of understand the the drive yeah. behind it because it might be I don't know you remind them of someone else I don't know anyway yeah so you would you wouldn't be like why are you why are you attracted to me let's talk about that uh it would be more about like you know I wonder why you're bringing that out you know um and then you would, uh, you know, you take that to your supervisor and say, oh, you know, this has come up. Because then if the decision was right, actually, you know, this could be a big issue. You need to refer them to someone else. Right. You've already kind of preempted. This is the kind of thing they were talking about. Gotcha. So potentially if then they respond negatively, which they might, and kind of reflect it back on you, you've already, your supervisor is already aware that there was a situation there. So you're trying to handle it as professionally and openly. Right. as you can through those proper channels you're not like telling everyone oh i've got this client oh, no, yeah, yeah but you've got to like, cover way. your ass in some way right like i mean you, you've just invested all this time effort money and intellect into yourself and to lose it on like a he say she say or a he say he say or whatever like that's um mm-hmm. god but i think um you know i think it is about that the openness and I worked with not in a, a therapy situation but when I was a teacher with a student who had um, a history of making false accusations that was that was part of his way of managing his anxiety and, and processing uh, and so there was there was that awareness that they knew that <laughs> and I do they, remember did they tell it. you before you took the job yeah or oh, okay I was like yeah, man that'd was, be like messed up well <laughs> we were you know I was already there when when um he started but it was part of that that awareness of knowing this has happened before there have been investigations, but ultimately they've come to it not being anything. So you kind of would be wary, but if there was a situation that potentially could, they could misinterpret being honest. So I remember we watched To Kill a Mockingbird, oh, the movie. Classic. Because we were talking about, yeah, we were talking about prejudice and it seemed like a, and, and his response was it's a bit racist. And so he was very hung up on the language used in it and that we were watching something that was racist. And I tried explaining that that was kind of the point of the film, that it was about prejudice. <laughs> you should be seeing that. But, and that, you know, if we're watching a film based in that time period when that was the language that was used, if it wasn't used in the film, then it kind of wouldn't make sense. And right. anyway, that was something that I flagged up because then if he says, oh, you know, <laughs> I was, I don't know, promoting racist ideology in my class or something. Actually... I've sort of flagged up this was the thing that, that he said that maybe could be misinterpreted, but his, you know, what had happened. So it's just kind of preempting anything that feels like there could be a misunderstanding. And, yeah, liability. 
yeah and being professional about it and um yeah and I guess using those the, the you know that's why I think supervision is such an important thing because it's it's about you keeping yourself safe but also keeping the client safe because it's about anything that yeah that you're possibly going to bring that's going to have a negative impact so I just think it's really important and I think sometimes you have people who will call themselves you know a coach or a therapist or whatever and I sometimes worry about the kind of like you said just getting the qualification that's... yeah because they've actually just read a couple of books or they listen to like two different podcasts and they're like you know what I think I'm going to be a health coach <laughs> and then they're on Instagram and, telling you how to live your life and people are fucking buying in. Yeah. And I mean, you know, it might be that you've got an amazing aptitude for some of this stuff, but I think, yeah, that professional training, you know, for certain things is really important to make sure that you're doing it safely and that you're not going to screw someone up just because like you said, you've read two books and think you're an expert. Right. So that's actually how I got started in the podcast. I just read one blog <laughs> and I was like, oh shit, that's it? Oh dude, I'm fucking perfect for it. Let's go. Well, but, and, and now and now and now, you, and now I'm giving online lessons. It's amazing. Are you? No. God no. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's <laughs> I should have said um, yes. Fuck. No, actually I am. So you just send me your PayPal. It's $150. <laughs> um, it's a 12 part course. And we start on Wednesday. <laughs> okay. You know, I did I and so I have a podcast and I've just I'm about to release my 30th episode this week. Wow. Um, and deep. I've got another, I've got up to episode 50 something interviews recorded. Jesus. You've been busy at this yeah. quarantine. <laughs> um, but I did do like a Zoom call with someone um, about podcasting and it was like a skill sharing type thing. They were interested. And I was just like, well, this is what I do. <laughs> this right. is, you know, it's like a, this is how you start out. This is what I recommend, because um, there are quite a lot of courses, you know, cropping up. And I looked at like a free preview of one, and it was almost just selling you the high tech equipment. Yeah, use. their product like, and shit, right? No doubt. Yeah, and and I was like, I don't have the money for that. My podcast, um, I don't have any adverts in it because I haven't. <laughs> so it's basically run free or pretty much as free as possible. Um, as long as it sounds, you know, reasonably good quality. So I was just like, this is what I use. Here's some tips. It was free. It was a really nice chat. We got into psychology and stuff, <laughs> but you know, um, but I suppose something like that, if you are actually doing it, you know, something like that is, is I guess, a bit, a bit different to, I can help you deal with your childhood trauma, which is, um, oh, yeah, dude, hundred percent. You could teach yourself to be a fucking mechanic. Right. But I mean, I don't know if you could teach yourself to be a psychologist because if you fuck up a carburetor, like that's cool, but you fuck up someone's memory of their father, like that's just wrong. You know, mm -hmm. like their perception, you're screwing with people's perceptions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you ever actually got, I don't know if you did or not. Did you get, do you feel like you got to your story? <laughs> I don't know. I don't see. So I don't know what I had about because uh, every time they share those experiences that make them who they are. And I mean, we've talked about some um, some of the ones I guess that are quite big in in who I am. Right. Some that I hadn't anticipated that we talk about. <laughs> um, and then we kind of got into the psychology stuff, which I think is, I guess, a big part of who I feel I am now. So yeah, we've uh, touched on some unexpected stuff, some expected stuff, some fun memories. 
right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I guess, part like people will be like, hey, well, what do you want me to say? And I'm like, oh, whatever comes to your mind, man, because I feel like that's uh, just makes it makes it more honestly fun. Right. Like it makes it more mm-hmm. like um, I don't know if unique's the right word, but real, you know, you don't want to have like this but, prepackaged person uh, coming on and talking. You just it, want to get to know someone. It's, yeah. Well, it's like a, it's a real conversation because like you said, none, none of it's scripted. And I, I like the kind of conversational feel podcast. They're my favorite to listen to. Mine has that format, although I do have some set questions, but I have however long of just general chatting first. And we might have like a vague topic that someone's come on to talk about. And but it the, is that kind of free flowing. So you can actually respond to what people say. <laughs> You're not just like, oh, well, that was interesting. Let's move to the next, right. <laughs> next question. Yeah, the TV segment type shit. Um, is your, so yeah. is your, um, what's your podcast name? So it's called The Psyche Podcast. So weird spelling, P-S-Y-K-H-E. Okay, same uh, as. Po- podcast. Gotcha. Because that's um, your Instagram handle, right? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, psyche coaching is my Instagram handle. Um, although I might change that to kind of well-being because it's not just coaching; it's podcast. I've got a blog on my website as well, which is my general ramblings about things. Nice. Um, but yeah, so it's on um, iTunes and Spotify. And um, the kind of story of the name, the the K, is um, psyche was the Greek goddess of like the soul and the breath and the spirit, and it's the root of the word psychology. Okay. Um, and the symbol that normally goes with her is butterfly, and they're all about transformation. I just kind of liked it. Yeah. <laughs> so I went with that, basically. Um, so it's got some kind of symbolic meaning, and it kind of, you know, it has depth. A bit different depth. Yeah, it's a bit awkward having a K. It's like you know when you're younger and you put like Zs on things to be cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. Yeah, <laughs> I've got just... a K because yeah. I'm an individual. Because you're because you're cool with a K, that's why. Cool. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not going to put that as a tagline, but it could be psyche, psyche with a K, cool with a K, cool with a K. Um, putting the putting yeah, the K so, in cool. <laughs> and yeah, so we, you know, in in some ways, um, similar to this, have like an honest conversation. People share their stories, but they tend to be much more focused on like mental well-being and and someone's journey maybe with mental illness or it could be they want to talk about something like creativity which is something that they do for work and like how that pertains to mental well-being and then I always ask people about how they look after their own mental well-being and like top tips they share with people and and that kind of stuff okay but um yeah no it's, it's it's good fun so we're yeah, 30th episode coming out this week. So. Man, good for you. And you fucking got 50, you got 20 more in the bank, huh? Man, you are Yeah, well, well, I've had, it's calmed down a bit now. And now this is my second ever interview I've done for someone else's podcast. And I've got um, another one next week. So then I've done three. So I'm kind of switching it to go that way. <laughs> but I um, I put out like a free advert on this um site that, that finds guests or matches people up. Okay. And it went... It went just mad. I had so many inquiries, and there were some that I was like, "I'm not sure it's a match." Then <laughs> I yeah. thought, "I just all the people that I was like, yeah, I sent them all my calendar link, and then they all booked in in the space of like three weeks. <laughs> three weeks where I just had so many podcast interviews, and a couple yeah. of times I had like three in a day, yeah, yeah, four in a day. So basically, now right through the summer, at least I've got an episode a week, kind of." Uh, interview recorded i just then need to kind of edit them into the the real thing but um 
yeah, so now it's calming down a bit, but I've got a lot in the bank. So I won't have to worry for a while actually arranging new interviews. So Right. Nice, man. Well, yeah, it's, yeah. hopefully you get in this uh, doctorate program and you, uh, you know, it'll open up the time. So you got that bank 20 yeah. weeks worth of interviews. Open up time yeah. to do more studying. Yes. Right? God. <laughs> All right, man. Well, Hannah, I really appreciate the two hours. Um, it was super nice getting to know you and we made it through the storm. It's the skies have kind of cleared, didn't lose any power, didn't have to awkwardly call you back and apologize for cutting you off. Awesome. So I really, I really enjoyed uh, seeing what, what kind of places this went. And, uh, and chatting to you. So thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, no problem. No problem at all. I just, um, always appreciative of people's time, man. Like someone to give up two hours to talk to a kind of a stranger is, uh, just really nice. And so <laughs> you don't know how else to put it, like <laughs> trusting and nice, uh, that somebody will I'll put that trust in you that you're not out to like get them in some way that you're just trying to yeah. create something where people get to know each other, man. So uh, again, I, thank you. I didn't, I, I'm a little bit concerned that you're going to try and frame me as a, Oh yeah. So what do you want your labels arsonist. to be? Do, do you want to mess in, message me? Cause I've got some fucking labels, cool kid, arsonist, roller derby, badass. Like those are the three I mean, suspected. Hey. I'm sorry. Suspected arsonist. No. I apologize. No. Things about thing. Most of it's fine, but not arsonist. Things that are true, you know, <laughs> fine. Suspected things that you've got no basis for. I prefer not. Is that out of bounds? Is, is that technically slander? Jesus. Could you yeah. imagine yeah, if it, like those people looking over your paper, they Google you and then all of a sudden like this fucking podcast <laughs> pops up and it says in the title, Hannah, suspected arsonist. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Yeah. I would feel, I, I, would, I would feel bad. Yeah. I prefer it if you didn't sabotage my career. Your profession. Um, you don't want me to ruin your professional life? Got you. I can do that. Yeah. I, I prefer, <laughs> I prefer not. I could do that. I think you I know. can handle that. You know, call me demanding if you want, but just ideally. <laughs> I know, right? These guests and their expectations. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. But anything know. else is fine. I'd be intrigued to see uh, how you do uh, kind of label me. Um, yeah. Anything else is fine as long as there is some basis yeah. in fact. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, I'll just try to honestly go through the topics, um, like whatever yeah. we fucking talk about. You know, I'll just be like, blah, 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 blah. This way, almost like you, um, what you were saying um, about the one guest and you, you saw the word tagline mental health and you're like, oh, that's something I'd like to hear about. So you, yeah. that's um, that's kind of what you're doing, just trying to make uh, conversational topics uh, easily accessible to those who are clicking. Yeah. I, yeah, I promise I, I won't screw yeah. you over. And if you don't like it, I'll uh, <laughs> just message me and I'll change it. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> All right. Thank you cool. so much, Hannah. Right. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. You're welcome. Thank you very much. I'd like to thank Hannah for coming on and spending some time sharing her stories. Best of luck to her and all of her academic, ambitious aspirations. Yes, I had to pause to make sure I fucking hit that alliteration just right. <laughs> Shout out to Fireworks for sponsoring today's pod. Fireworks are the perfect way to end an evening. Light up every night and make it a celebration. People, can we please friend, follow, listen, subscribe? Shit, if you've listened this long... You've probably got a fucking couple of stories you're looking to tell. Just message us. We'd love to have you on and to listen.
Adios.